In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies, it is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Welcome to another commercial-free premium episode for Conspiracy Unlimited Plus subscribers. Preston Dennett began investigating UFOs and the paranormal in 1986 when he discovered that his family, friends, and co-workers were having dramatic unexplained encounters. Since then, Preston has interviewed hundreds of witnesses and investigated a wide variety of paranormal phenomena. He's a field investigator for the Mutual UFO Network, a ghost hunter, a paranormal researcher, and the author of over a dozen books and more than a hundred articles on UFOs and the paranormal. His articles have appeared in numerous magazines including Fate, Atlanta Rising, MUFON UFO Journal, Nexus, Paranormal Magazine, UFO Magazine, Mysteries Magazine, Ufologist, and others. His writing has been translated into several different languages, and he's appeared on numerous radio and TV programs. Additionally, Preston has taught classes on various paranormal subjects, and he lectures across the United States. Hey, Preston, welcome back to Conspiracy Unlimited. How's it going? It's going pretty good. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. 25 New UFO Encounters. The book is wondrous. 25 UFO Encounters. Uh 
Where did you find these 25 stories? Were these ones that you had known about previously but held back on publishing, or do you did you learn about these since your last book came out? Uh, well, both. Some of these were stories I've been really wanting to present for a while, but they just didn't fit in with the theme of previous books or were too short or too long uh, or you know, various reasons. Um, some are absolutely brand new, people I've just recently interviewed. So sort of across the board, you know, the people who contacted me after reading my books, a couple of them, some heard me on various shows or what have you, found my website. Um, some were referred by friends, pretty much a number of different ways. How would you characterize these uh, these experiencers in terms of, did they have any commonalities in terms of their personality type or, I don't know, occupation? Any, any commonalities, any common threads? Uh, not a whole lot. It's evenly divided between men and women for the most part. I mean, I'm talking about generally in all my research. Uh, there's no prejudice on you know, race or political affiliations or blood type or anything like that. Uh, there are a couple of patterns I've noticed. One is that if you have a history of UFO encounters in your family, say your parents or grandparents, and, you know, an aunt or uncle or what have you, that definitely increases your chances. Uh, this does seem to follow family lines to a certain extent. I'm gonna say about half of the cases I get would fit in that pattern. But I did find one pattern which is kind of interesting, and it's not super strong, but it keeps turning up. I'll always ask people, what's your occupation? You know, what do you do for a living? And there seems to be a large amount of certain professions within the uh, abduction population, the abductee population. And that I would characterize by people who are doing good work for humanity in some capacity. And by that I mean like teachers. A lot of teachers, doctors and nurses, artists, uh, environmentalists, social workers, police officers, inventors, uh, musicians, this sort of thing. And yeah, again, it's a loose pattern, but there's one case in the book I asked him, so what do you do for a living? And he's like, well, I'm a bus driver. Like, oh, okay, and it didn't quite fit in with what I expected, but hey, you know. He's like, but my real passion is you know, I run a website. Uh, it's all about spirituality, and he's providing all this information on various you know, metaphysical, I guess you'd call it, subjects for people who are seeking answers, you know, the greater answers to life. Right, right. So not a lot of lawyers, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, let me think. I don't think I ever have interviewed a lawyer contactee. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right about that. Right. Well, maybe if they take them aboard, they throw them back. That's not, that's not very nice of me. There are a lot of nice lawyers. I know many li nice lawyers. That's such an easy joke. I just had to go there. Well, but you talked about school teachers, and one of the fascinating stories in Wondrous, 25 True UFO Encounters, is a school teacher who uh, talks about encountering a 15-foot-tall mantis alien. What happened? Yeah, yeah. She's one, one of the people who contacted me from reading one of my other books, in which a gentleman, a Navy medic, described seeing a 15-foot-tall mantis, uh, which is really, you know, an outlier. I don't hear a lot of cases like that, but hers, yeah, what a story. Um, great witness, very lucid, gave a great interview, funny lady, 
Uh, she lives or lived rather in O'Fallon, Illinois. This took place in 2006. And O'Fallon, Illinois is a pretty rural community where she lived. Lots of you know, cornfields and wild areas. And she has a habit of jogging each morning, quite early in the morning, you know, 5 a.m. or so. It's still dark. So she's out jogging one morning with her dog, as she normally does. I'll go down a few streets, you know, makes a couple of turns, and is coming upon this T intersection in the road. A fairly busy road. I'm busy during the day. Nobody on it at this hour. And uh, her dog pricks up its ears. She's thinking, no, I know it's going to be a fox or a deer or something, which wasn't unusual. Uh, but she looks up, and this is not a fox. Her first thought is that she was looking at a man standing on stilts, walking down the center of the road, uh, which was totally incongruous. Now, she couldn't quite understand what she was seeing because he was moving very quickly and moved right under the street light there, right at the corner of the two streets, walked right under it, and that's when she got a real shock. This wasn't a person. This was an insect-looking being. And she thought, Grasshopper? Grasshopper? Nope, nope. Looks more like a praying mantis. She described it as having sort of grayish mottled skin, very thin, very long stick-like limbs. It was moving quite quickly, making 10-foot strides, she estimates. Did not seem to notice her. Instead, its head was bent forward and down, and it was scanning the road back and forth as if looking or, I don't know, maybe dropped its cell phone or something. <laughs> um, it was looking for something. <laughs> Did not appear to notice her. Uh, and she, she and her dog just stood there and watched it walk by. And God bless her. She didn't run home, as I think many people would have done. She actually ran after this thing. Uh, and it was moving pretty quickly. She got to the T-intersection, and it was already quite a ways down the road. And, but she ran after it for just a few more moments and watched it move up into the cornfield. And she lost sight of it. And she didn't see any craft in the air? No, didn't see any craft. Doesn't think that this being noticed her at all. You know, after having her describe it a few times, I'm like, well, you know, why, why this area do you think? Is there anything about this area that is unique? that might attract this. And she couldn't really think of anything at first. She's like, no, it's just cornfields. You know, there's a school nearby. And she's like, well, you know, there is an Air Force base. I live about six miles away from Scott Air Force Base. Now, that did make my ears prick up because, you know, Air Force bases are somewhat of a UFO magnet. It's not uncommon for a UFO to hover over a you know, military installation. So... Perhaps that's a factor in speculating. I did find one other interesting sort of perhaps connection, uh, which was the date, the time of this uh, encounter, 2006. This was actually not long after a very well-known UFO incident, which was actually not too far away as the crow flies or the UFO. Uh, it was the Chicago O'Hare Airport incident. Right, I remember that. Right, which was viewed by baggage handlers and pilots and control tower operators. This UFO hovered very low over one of the control towers and swooped upwards and punched a hole through the clouds. So maybe there's a connection there. 
I don't know. Uh, but it was definitely a really unusual encounter, and I thought perhaps a one-off. I'm like, perhaps this is just unique. But further questioning, no, revealed what I kind of suspected, is that she does have a history of encounters. Uh, and yeah. does she have an, a history of encountering mantis-type aliens or other types? Other types, actually. Hmm. Um, yeah, she remembers... I'm, I'm guessing they're the greys. She didn't get a real good look, but she tells me what I often hear from, you know, experiencers, people that have onboard experiences, abductees. As a very young child, she had short figures entering into her bedroom at night, staring the daylights out of her. She'd scream, call her parents, they'd come running in, um, never saw anything. And it happened enough times that her parents forbade her from waking them up in the middle of the night, so she was kind of left to her own resources. But she does recall not only them coming to her room, she does recall at least one instance where she woke up and she was not in her room. She was on a table, she saw medical instruments next to her, and she was in a bright, bright room, rounded walls, so the details I hear quite often, and she felt like she was about to be operated on. Again, she didn't get a good look at whoever these guys were. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So, uh, speaking of, well, she was a child at the time, I wanted to talk about another case where a young couple are actually expecting their first child and they discover that extraterrestrials have taken their baby. Now, I'm a little confused here. She's expecting, so do you mean that they took the unborn child out of her womb? Yes, yes. This is called the missing fetus syndrome. Uh, this is something that I've run across before with other experiencers. And uh, this case is a little unusual, though. They do, both both the husband and wife, have a history of encounters. He's seen UFOs. She's had what she describes as light beings coming into her room. This was prior to them you know, meeting and getting married. Uh, she's from Europe. They have moved to a small town in Canada and we're having a lot of red tape issues with the government and trying to get medical insurance and finding a job and you know, moving into their new home and fixing it up and they got pregnant. It was good news, of course. They were pretty excited about it. They, and it moved along quite smoothly. They built a nursery, got it all ready, painted, told their whole family, went to the doctor, verified the pregnancy, heard the heartbeat. You know, Normally when I hear of these missing fetus type cases, uh, the fetus is taken maybe three months. They have a spontaneous, and they're just suddenly not pregnant. But she carried this pregnancy all the way along to about seven and a half months. It was about seven months. They're driving along to a party at a friend's house, and suddenly they're disoriented. Uh, they kind of lost track of time, and they found themselves at the party a uh, good half an hour, an hour early, which seemed impossible. I could not understand what how they got there so quickly. 
it made no sense because it was basically impossible. And uh, they just didn't know what to make of it. They weren't really educated about UFOs. They'd never read anything on the subject. And uh, it was shortly after that, one evening they wake up and there's a huge electrical storm uh, over their home. They get up and close the window and lightning is just striking down right in their backyard. It freaks them out. They slam the window closed, go back to bed and boom, fall asleep. So that was another unusual thing. The electrical storm was unusual, and in fact, they fought, fell asleep both simultaneously, instantly. It was also unusual. And she wakes up the next morning and turns to her husband and says, Honey, you know, I don't feel pregnant. I said, What are you talking about? And she says, Look, my belly, you know, does it look less big to you? And he's like, Yeah, it does. They had been seeing a midwife, and the midwife said, Well, your baby is in a breech position. You should start doing exercises so he'll move into a better position for birth. I thought maybe that's what happened. But they had an appointment with the doctor. Uh, I think it was in three days, but they moved it forward. And the doctor was like very puzzled. Could not find a heartbeat. Very concerned. And I said, well, you're not pregnant. I don't know what to tell you. There must have been a misdiagnosis. Uh, neither of them believed this. They had you know, heard the baby's heartbeat multiple times. They sent me pictures of her pregnancy. Uh, they you know, had felt the baby moving, squirming around. She did not have any miscarriage or anything. It was just gone. And, uh, they, they must started, have been devastated. Um, to a certain extent, yeah. I mean, they, they both started crying, especially the husband. He was pretty upset. But she felt strangely calm. And I talked to her about it. I'm like, really? I mean, just, I, you know, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm kind of okay with it. Um, I just have a really strong feeling that my baby is alive and okay and being well cared for. So she somehow came to terms with it pretty easily. And actually, so did he. Not quite as easily as she did. But they were strangely okay with it. Uh, but what was really difficult for them was telling their family. Uh, they had already told their family that they're you know, going to be grandparents and so on and had to explain to them what happened. And they didn't hold back. They told them exactly what they thought had caused this. Oh, they told them that what they thought was the truth, that an, that aliens had taken their baby? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And some did not react so well. They had a, you know, a few members of their family that were fairly religious. and uh, But ultimately, they all were very supportive. They were a very loving, close family, and I had no choice. This, people have no choice but to deal with this, and each dealt with it in their own way. But what I found so crazy about this case is it was she was seven and a half months pregnant. And often people have a normal birth at that time. Yes. And it's premature, but still the baby survives. No, well, this baby is... I don't know, out somewhere among the stars. I, I can only assume that that's what happened. That's what they believe happened. And Very, did she ever have any strange dreams or contact with any entity uh, regarding her child? No, no. I lost touch with them, unfortunately. I did contact all the people I could before the book became published to see if there were any updates. And... Uh, could not contact them. So I'm really curious, you know, how they're doing right now. 
That seems a rather cruel, inhumane thing to do to a, a couple to take their to abduct their baby, basically. Yeah, their first child. I mean, they don't have any other kids or didn't at that time. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've talked to other people that have happened to this, and it's very devastating. But how strange. common? How common is this missing babies? Uh, more common, I think, than most people would think. I, I would call it a perhaps not common, but a consistent feature of UFO contact. Um, many people I've talked to have had this experience, and usually, in most cases, they're taken on board later and shown the baby, told to hold it, give it love, and nurture it, and some of these. And men, for that matter, uh, are shown as a toddler, as a young teenager, as a, and as an adult. One lady I interviewed had experience. She woke up, went into her kitchen, and uh, there was a gray, or a hybrid-looking gray. And he says, don't you recognize me? She says, no, should I? And he said, yes, I'm your son. She peered at him. She could actually, yeah, see that there was family resemblance. She's like, "How old are you?" And she says, "He said, well, you know, I'm 20, 26, but actually, I'm much older." Um, tried to explain to her that he doesn't live in her time zone, and that he spends a lot of time in other areas where time flows differently. Kind of went over her head. He explained that, yeah, we are watching over you all the time. We will protect you. Um, don't worry. Um, but I am your son. Yeah, not the only person who's told me this sort of thing. My word. Well, tell me about this trip to the beach where a group of friends make and uh, their terrifying encounter with a 10-foot-tall, strange humanoid. Yes, this gentleman was very nervous to be interviewed. <laughs> He asked me over and over again, you know, you're not going to use my name, right? And I'm like, of course, no, of course I won't. I'm like, where did your encounter take place? He said, I don't want to tell you. I'm like, can you tell me the country? And he wouldn't even tell me that. But finally he did. Uh, this occurred in Canada, actually in Ontario, I believe. And he had been doing what, you know, as CE5 protocols, trying to call down UFOs. He was in meditation mostly, lights, this sort of thing. And did so successfully on a number of occasions. He and his girlfriend would go camping and just meditate and on seeing a UFO and calling one down. And were successful at it. We had a number of sightings until one day he was a young man, uh, very, I would say, intellectual, uh, but also very spiritual and uh, a philanthropist. He's very much into helping humanity and saving Earth. There's that pattern again. That keeps turning up. But anyway, he rents a cabin with his friends on, on this lake in Ontario. It's a very popular tourist attraction. And he has this urge to just take a walk along the shore. And his friends are like, no, no, I don't want to. You know, it's late at night. He finally convinces them. And they're walking along the shore of this lake. And suddenly he notices his friends stop walking. He's like, what's up, guys? And they don't answer. He's like, hey, hey, you know, why aren't you answering me? And he realizes they are frozen. They are frozen in place in mid-step. And he starts looking around and the trees are frozen. Everything's just a little bit weird. 
everything's super quiet. It's just this weird crackling energy kind of settling over the scene. It starts to freak out a little bit, and uh, none of his friends are responding to any of his inquiries when he sees a group of three individuals a hundred yards so away from him down on the beach and he's looking at them because they look unusual it's kind of hard to see it's night next thing he knows uh, something happened he doesn't remember quite how he got there but he finds himself right in front of these guys maybe three feet away from the closest individual the others were kind of a row behind this first individual and he's a tall gentleman six feet tall and he says, I have to look up at these guys, and I have to tell you, they were nine feet, I think, ten feet tall. I'm like, well, which, you know, which is it, nine or ten? He says, well, I'm going to go with ten, because they were almost twice my height. And he says, they were not nice looking. Uh, they looked humanoid, but had very broad heads, you know, faces, chins, uh, dirty, pointed teeth. Very large hypnotic eyes that kind of came to a point. Uh, did not look human, wearing shiny black jumpsuits or something along those lines. And uh, he's, he's going to talk to them like, you know, what are you doing here? You shouldn't be here, is what he actually said to them. You should not be here. And they gave him a kind of a chilling message. They said, we can do whatever we want. <laughs> and Nothing can stop us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they talked in this weird, kind of gravelly voice out loud. Now, this was not telepathic or anything. And uh, in chorus, that was another weird thing. It, it was as if they were all talking at once. And uh, this kind of, you know, I've heard this before. This is something a number of witnesses have told me that, with the Greys at least, that they're all talking at at once, and that's what happened to him. And uh, you know, he said this, this really scared him. That their eyes were massive, hypnotic, kind of blue and gold lined irises, is how he described them. And just huge. That's what he really impressed him. Very, very pale skin, thick and kind of wrinkly. They looked really old. Was his impression? Does and that next- does that description match? Anything you've ever heard before about this uh, this type of I don't know race of aliens? The, the description does that sound familiar to you at all? Not at all. This is utterly unique, and this happens. This occasionally happens. People will describe utterly unique beings. And that's often why these people will contact me because they want to know. Have you heard this before? Um, this was at Wasaga Beach. Oh, not too far from where I am. Of course, Wasaga Beach. Yes. I wasn't familiar with that story. Amazing. Yeah, just crazy. What's really interesting about this is next thing he knows, um, they're gone. You know, he never saw a craft or anything. And he's um, walking back towards his friends who are now moving and kind of heading home. And he runs up to them. And by the time he gets up to them, he's going to ask them about it, but he forgot. Completely forgot what he saw. And... uh, was trying to remember, but just couldn't remember what had happened. Gets to the cabin and falls asleep. It's two weeks later or so, they're ready to do a repeat vacation. Went to the same cabin, and he suddenly remembers spontaneously. He turns to his friends, they're like, hey guys, 
do you, did anything happen when you were walking on the beach? Remember that? We went to the beach last time. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. I remember you walked up to some guys. Um, that's, it's like, do you remember anything else? And they're like, no, no. What do you mean? Did something happen? And he didn't want to say it because you know, he didn't want to tell them, oh, you know, it was ETs. And I think I had this experience, blah, blah, blah. Because uh, he hadn't told them he believed in UFOs and was having encounters. And in fact, he just didn't want to go there. <laughs> Yeah, very strange encounter, and that's not another thing I see is memory problems. I think he may have had more going on there than he consciously recalls. Do these people ever attempt to have their memories recovered through regression, hypnosis? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, did, I don't have any cases in this particular book. I trust hypnosis. I think it works. I know it does. It's been proven in a laboratory setting. Uh, accounts coming out under hypnotic regression match perfectly with you know, what people are consciously recalling. But I've always kind of just stayed away from it because of you know, the controversy involving false memory syndrome and hypnotically retrieved memories and so forth. Because uh, mo most people I mean, do have memory problems with UFO encounters. Uh, but, uh, a lot don't. A lot have fully conscious encounters. There, there are a lot of stories, uh, accounts in this book involving very strange-looking creatures. Not sure if I can use this term, garden-variety gray aliens. You mentioned the, um, the mantis. Then you've got these 10-foot-tall creatures that don't sound like anything we've heard of before. Uh, then we have an artist with an encounter of... Um, well, very short, blue-looking creatures. Tell me about this encounter. Yeah, this is something I do have heard before. Um, grays is what I mostly get. After that, I would say it would be human-looking, then praying mantis, and sort of this catch-all category. But some people do describe these short blue beans with kind of squashed faces. And I love this case because this is a person I have known most of my life. She married my brother. She's my sister-in-law. She's... Ah the artist who did the cover for the book and some of the interior illustrations. And she illustrated what she saw. And uh, she did not tell me about this encounter when I first met her. It took a few years before she you know, felt comfortable enough coming forward. Uh, we worked very closely together for years and she would all often attend conventions with me. She works as an artist illustrating people's encounters. So when she did illustrate her own encounter, I was very pleased to see this, showed it to other contactees who were like, yeah, that's exactly what I saw. So I'm pretty sure she got an accurate representation. And her encounter occurred when she was just a little girl. She and her sister shared a room. And when she was like uh, 12 years old or so, she wakes up and there's these three figures surrounding her bed, well, at the foot of her bed. And she's describing this thing very small, maybe two and a half feet, four feet tall, boxy hands, uh, kind of squarish hands with short, short fingers, and a squashed face. She kind of likened it to those Sharpe dogs, very folded skin, uh, very thick, bluish gray tone to their skin, and dark, tiny little beady eyes, very dark, beady and twinkly. And she felt no fear as they pulled off her blanket, 
exposed her feet and started sticking what looked very much like fiber optic rods into her feet. Hmm. Uh, she wasn't sure if they were actually penetrating or just on the surface. It didn't hurt. Well, she wasn't scared. She had the presence of mind to ask, what are you doing? And I said, oh, we are taking your memories or we are recording your memories. And she's like, oh, okay. Well, it's kind of interesting because she's a pretty young kid there. I'm not sure what they're after. Someone who hasn't had a whole lot of life experience. Uh, but they, that's what they were doing. And she did not see them leave. She just fell back asleep. And remembered it the next morning. Didn't tell her sister. Her sister was having nightmares about beings coming from the closet. Uh, later as an adult, she talked to her sister. Who doesn't remember seeing blue beans, but remember seeing cat-like beans. Uh, so that was kind of interesting. At any rate, this went on for two weeks. Nightly. Every night. They were there. She didn't tell anyone. Didn't tell her parents. It was her little secret. She kind of came to look at them as her friends. Until finally it stops. And the day after it stopped, she and her little sister run out to the end of the driveway and start calling out to the sky, please come back, you know, don't go, take us with you. We don't belong here, <laughs> this sort of thing. Uh, which is actually another thing I've heard people say. Uh, yeah, very interesting encounter. And she had no fear. Uh, a lot of people do have fear of these you know, strange beings entering their room at night, which you know, I can understand. No, she didn't. What finally prompted her to, to share this story with you? Um, well, I had discovered UFOs were real. Um, my brother Marco, who she married, had chased a UFO down the street uh, with his friends. So I was talking to him. I found another number of friends that had encounters, people at work, uh, people in my family. It was freaking me out. And uh, my other sister-in-law had encounters with gray ETs. And uh, my brother had something in his arm, a little, gosh, I'll call it an implant. I don't know what it is. I took him to a doctor. It's, you can palpate it with your finger. It's this, like, little tiny half matchstick in his, just under the surface of his skin. And his, I believe it's his left arm. I think it was around that time because I started asking him. <laughs> You know, have you had dreams? Have you had encounters? I turned to and I looked at her. I'm like, well, Christy, what about you? And she's like, well, yeah, I did have encounters as a kid. So I don't know if this is related, but I do have a number of cases where people who are married feel like they were brought together by the ETs. In fact, there's, and there's this case in this book. There's two other cases in this book that fit that exact thing. These people got married and both have a history of encounters. Can you share one of those stories? Oh, yeah. Yeah, one involves, well, I call them the cat people. That's what uh, this gentleman called them. Uh, I was a young boy in Montana who was out skating with his friends, ice skating, and they look up and there's a UFO. This is early 50s. And uh, he had never heard of UFOs. None of them really had. So they're all just kind of looking at it as it moves across the sky. It's clearly not a plane. Uh, but they had no way to categorize it. And he didn't know what to make of it. But it was shortly after this that he started waking up. And there would be these, what he described as cat people, standing next to his bed. 
scared him pretty bad. He told his parents, like, oh, you're just having nightmares. He described them as, I guess you would say, like greys, but a little different. So they looked very much like tall, humanoid, hairless cats. Is how he described them. Wearing kind of dark jumpsuits. And he would scream at them and you know, yell at them to go away, go away. And they would dematerialize. But it happened over and over again throughout his childhood. He lived in the basement. His room was in the basement. And finally just stopped happening. And he went on with his life, got married, met this lady from Nevada, ended up moving down to Nevada and marrying her. They're watching TV one day, and the subject comes on the news, or uh, some television program, rather. They're talking about various encounters. And he's like, you know, honey, that happened to me when I was a kid. And she, got, she gets a little wide-eyed and says, really? Me too. And he's like, what did you see? She says, well, I can see these cat-like beings coming through the wall. And she also told her parents, who did not believe her, this is a message to parents out there. Um, if your children start reporting this, you know, take a second to you know, figure out if they're telling the truth or not. Because it's a shame that kids have to deal with this on their own over and over again. Right. Well, for generations, we've just been assuming that these are their imaginary friends. Maybe they're not imaginary. I don't think they are. Certainly not in this case. But at any rate, she described pretty much the same thing. She doesn't have as good recall as him. She would just remember them coming in through the wall, and that's it, just a few times. But at some point, you know, they're, as adults, fairly elderly in their 60s, uh, started happening again. <laughs> they would have these UFOs hovering overhead. She started carrying a camera. They'd quickly point the camera at these objects. They're pretty high up there and just hovering in place. So it's not a blue moon, I don't know what it is, it's not moving. As soon as you point the camera, it would disappear. Because um, I kept trying to get a picture of it. It's like, honey, I'm seeing UFOs. <laughs> She's like, yeah, I've had a couple of sightings too. And that's when they started showing up again, the same cat people. And uh, she, she could feel them coming, the wife. She would get very restless, very anxious. And he woke up and there they were. And he would fight with them, had sort of a willpower struggle with them and said go away and never come back after several times that's what he did and they never came back after that but there is an interesting end note to the, the story he invited his brother his little brother over his little brother had always been jealous that he got to sleep in his own room in the basement and as soon as he left home his brother got the basement room and so he tells his brother the story he's like i don't think i've had visitations by aliens his father listens to the story. Says, "You know, something weird happened to me." And he's described how, after his brother moved out into the basement, he took the room and was down there for 15 minutes when something scared the daylights out of him. And he ran upstairs and never went down to the basement again. The guy was like, "Well, what happened?" And he refused to talk about it. He says, "I'm not going to tell you. It's too scary. I don't want to talk about it. Let's change the subject." Wow. Uh, so. I'm, yeah, I'm thinking he had the same thing happen. What was the purpose, do you suppose, for these aliens bringing this couple together? Um, I think this is probably something to do with genetics and genetic lines. Um, 
Because why? I don't know. I can only speculate. But I'm guessing that they're breeding, you know, they're very cheap, certain people's genetics. Uh, perhaps because they're psychic. That does seem to be a theme that when you ask what kind of people have encounters, that's a, definitely another pattern that turns up again and again. People who have psychic experiences, they seem to be particularly interested in. Perhaps that's it. I don't know. It's 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 weird. But Bud Hopkins had cases like this. You know, a number of researchers have noted this pattern that they will bring people together uh, from far across the country. Actually, now that I think of it, there's four cases like that in this book. <laughs> so that is absolutely something that happens. After all these years, Preston, and so many books and so many stories, does anything surprise you anymore? Is there any one story that to this day sticks with you? Maybe not even in this book, but in another book. It just it stands out as one of the top UFO encounters uh, you've ever heard about? Uh, I'm continually surprised. <laughs> um, I, I feel like I try to get used to this, and then I just can't. Um, there's one case in this book that did kind of shock me. Uh, this lady contacted me uh, because she had gone to the dentist, took her 14-year-old son to the dentist, and uh, they were taking x-rays, as they always do, and uh, suddenly all the dentists are crowding around the x-rays and the dental assistants, and everyone's freaking out. And uh, she's looking at her son through the view window like, what's wrong? He's like, I don't know, I don't know. Finally, they call her in and show her the x-rays and him and point to his back molar and say, what's this? And uh, she looks at these x-rays and there under his tooth is this, looks like a marble, well, a small marble. And they said, did your son shoot himself in the mouth with a BB gun? She's like, no, no, of course not. And her son, of course, denied this. They would have remembered something like that. They're like, well, what is this? And she was just joking. She says, well, I don't know, an alien implant, I don't know. She has no experience with UFOs. That was the first thing I asked her. And she had contacted me after a long search to figure out what this could possibly be. And finally just came to the UFO subject and thought perhaps this is, could explain this. I took this x-ray, well, multiple x-rays she showed me. Uh, they're in the book. I took it to two doctors, an uh, emergency doctor and a regular physician. Both diagnosed it as a metallic foreign body. Nothing natural about it. It's perfectly round. It's larger than a BB. Both have the same thing. You know, what could have possibly have been a BB done? There's no entry wound. There's no tissue reaction. There's no pain. Uh, it does not, and that explanation does not fit what's going on here. My first question to her was, have you seen a UFO? No. Nope, she denied it. I'm like, well, what about your son? He did not want to be interviewed. He was very shy, quite nervous about all of this. So he was there in the room. So I'm talking to her, and she's asking him questions. Uh, and she's like, no, well, no, he hasn't seen one. I'm like, well, ask him. And, and she did. She's like, well, yeah, Mom, I didn't want to tell you. Uh, but just recently, yeah, something came right over me and my friend while we were walking home. It was just lights, but then they came swooping down, sort of flashing colored lights at us, freaked us out, and we ran off. Uh, so I think that's when it happened. 
and further questioning revealed that he had a strong interest in, quote, Nordic ETs, who surfing the internet to learn all about them, has having dreams about them. And uh, this was a really interesting case because it was evolving in you know, real time. She calls me up about, I think it was almost a year later, I'm speaking in touch with her and try to counsel her through all this. And she's like, you're not going to believe what happened. The Grays came last night. I'm like, really? She says, yeah, my son came to sleep in my room with me. He was having a rough night. Uh, and he's got some anxieties about this. Sleeps with the nightlight on. This is something I've heard from a lot of experiencers. They have trouble sleeping. She wakes up, and there are Grays right next to her son's bed, looking at him, examining him. One's at the door. She's barely came just up past the doorknob, so pretty short, looks right at her and says, everything's fine. You don't need to worry. Everything's going to be just okay. She was out of her mind. She likened herself to Richard Dreyfuss you know, building mashed potatoes <laughs> right. on, on his plate. She was just could not let this go. And after this, she woke up the next morning feeling great, feeling fine with this. Turns to her son and says, I think they came last night. He's like, what do you mean? She says, I saw, you know, this could be a dream, you know, don't be afraid, but I think they came last night. And he says, for you? She says, well, no, they came for you. He's like, oh, oh, interesting. So my quote did a lot more questioning. Turns out he is super clairvoyant, really psychic, has an unbelievable string of co- synchronicities and just precognition. We'll say something, it happens, mention somebody they call up on the phone, just every day, she says. And further question revealed that she probably does have a history of UFO experiences as well. She has weird scars, scoop marks on her body, and it wasn't long after that, she had a very strange encounter. Oh, dear. Yeah, woke up, and she wasn't in her bed. She was in a craft, or what appeared to be a craft. It was really strange. She says, well, I don't know how to tell you this, but there was a couch. It looked almost like a doctor's office. I saw what looked like a flat-screen TV. There was a gentleman sitting next to me, a normal, normal-looking guy, a young man, maybe 20. And a weird door. She looked outside. There was a window. She could see blue sky. She says, no, Preston, I think they dressed this up to look like a living room. Uh, this is something I've heard before. Absolutely. They can transform their craft to you know, suit the person. But in, you know, the door slides open. An iris is open. Not like a normal door. Just kind of whoosh. And she says, oh, my God, this thing was so tall. It was nine feet tall, and it was a praying mantis. Oh, here we go. Its eyes were huge. It was kind of light gray in color, long stick-like limbs, moved very jerky, jerk-like insect-like movements. It's another thing I hear quite often. It was holding what looked like sort of a sound card or a, a tiny cell phone or something walked up to the gentleman and put it against the back of his neck and did something and came over to her. She's like, she stood up and says, no, no, you're not doing that to me. And that's all she remembers. Huh. Wow. Wow. This is, 
but a small sample of the 25 True Encounters in Preston Dennett's latest book, Wondrous. How do we get a copy? Uh, actually, it's available you know, at online retailers, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, bookstores. I do have a website. Just Google my name. I'll use your favorite search engine. They will, I have excerpts there. You can purchase the book through my website. Uh, I've got excerpts. Also, you can contact me through uh, the website with questions or story you want to share or comment or whatever. I always love hearing from people. I'm telling you, though, this is not uncommon. Many more people are having encounters than I think the general public realizes. I have a sneaking suspicion you're already at work on another book, Preston. I am. And boy, am I excited about this one. This one is not a collection of accounts. This is one lady's story. She's had fully conscious contact since age 14. That was pretty traumatic before then, but not now. It's still going on. But boy, she's got evidence. And this is the type of extensive encounter I've been waiting for for years. And this lady has a story to tell like no other I've ever heard. All right. Well, we have that to look forward to. In the meantime, people can uh, purchase Wondrous. Preston, always a delight. You and I will talk soon on Coast to Coast. Looking forward to it. All right. All right, my friend. Thank you so much. Be well. Thanks, you too. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. <laughs>